This week on Geek Explained, as we near the end of the March to 200, part 3 of Bat March features the return of Owen of the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel and Dallas of the Comics Collective podcast for a spoiler-filled review of The Batman. <laughs> I'm vengeance. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is part three of Bat March and is also episode 198, which means we are nearing the home stretch for the March to 200. And this week's episode features a full spoiler filled review of The Batman. And I'm not alone this time around. On this endeavor, I'll be joined by Owen of the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel and Dallas of the Comics Collective for a Dark Knights of the Roundtable discussion on the film, talking all things Batman. Also, we have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I chat you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week. But before we get into all that goodness, let's check in with this week's news. Alright guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous, and there's lots of news to talk about, so let's go ahead and dive right into it. First off, we're going to kick things off with miscellaneous news, some sad news. Uh, wrestler Scott Hall, also known as Razor Ramon, back in the days of the old WWF, unfortunately passed away this past week at the age of 63 after suffer- suffering several heart attacks. Um, Razor Ramon was the bad guy. He was awesome. He was one of the first times that, you know, as a wrestling fan, you could say, oh, you know, we don't have to just like the white meat baby faces. We can also love these really just suave and cool and down and dirty anti-heroes. And if you're a fan of anti-heroes, Razor Ramon was that guy. And Though he had, you know, some difficulties with his life following his wrestling career, uh, Scott Hall was one of the greats. He was one of the uncrowned world champions, uh, one of the best wrestlers to never win a world title, and it's, uh, it sucks. This is really terrible. I remember watching him as a kid, and to hear about this, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking. So I know personally I am sending all of my love to his family, his friends, anyone who has been affected by his death. Um, yeah, it's it's tough. But I will say everybody's been saying it. it's going been going around all over the place. Uh, his words from his Hall of Fame induction are going to live on for forever. You know, at his Hall of Fame induction, he said... Hard work pays off. Dreams come true. 
bad times don't last, but bad guys do. And I will just leave it at that. Uh, Also in miscellaneous news on a much more positive note, uh, Gotham Knights finally got its release date announced with very little fanfare on Twitter, basically saying like, hey, this is it. We'll see you then. Uh, No trailer, no nothing. I'm assuming we're going to get more at E3 probably, but we now know that the game will be coming out on October 25th of this year. So it is coming out this year, which is good, but... I don't know. I I feel weird that about how quiet it's been. I've I'm still very hyped about the game. I'm still very much looking forward to it, but we'll have to see. Uh, hopping on over to film news, one big piece of film news. Uh, DC Films. Batman is you know taking the world by storm. It's the main course of this episode, but apparently the other films have been shaken up a little bit. The schedule has been moved around and hopscotched, so we now have new release dates for the next four DC films. Uh, Aquaman and Lost Kingdom was moved, delayed from December 16th, 2022 to March 17th of 2023. The Flash got another delay. Uh, It has been moved from November 4th, 2022 to June 23rd, 2023. Black Adam has been delayed just a little bit, still coming out this year, uh, from July 29th, 2022 to October 21st of 2022. And finally, Shazam! Fury of the Gods has been moved up, not down, not back, up from June 2nd, 2023 to December 12th of this year year so just like the first shazam movie this one is going to be a christmas film i will not argue with you you can argue to a wall shazam is a christmas movie but i find that very interesting uh you you gotta assume that there's gonna be some big connection between black adam and shazam uh which i guess makes sense to put them closer together but it's weird seeing those other films moved back but We'll just have to see. Hopping on over to comic book news, three pieces of comic book news. And speaking of Black Adam, we have a brand new Black Adam series that was announced, written by Christopher Priest with art by Rafa Sandoval, and will be uh, announced in June. I like both of those creators. Black Adam has never really been a character who I am interested in outside of, like, 52. So uh, if you're a Black Adam fan, this is going to be the time to jump on. Uh, We also get something... Two multiverse-style books. Uh, First from DC, Multiversity Teen Justice. Uh, This is going to be a six-issue miniseries uh, taking place on Earth-11 with uh, Ivan Cohen, Danny Lore, Marco Faila, and Enrica Aaron Angelini helming this book that is going to be tackling characters like Supergirl, uh, Aqualass, or... I think she's, well, maybe it's Aqua Girl. Uh, Cl- Clarion, not the witch boy. It's a witch girl. And most, I think, most notably, Jess Chambers, the uh, the Flash, the non-binary Flash from Future State, which I'm really excited about. Uh, they were really cool, and we didn't get nearly enough of them. So hopefully we'll get to see more of that character. Uh, this sounds fun. We'll just have to see how that shakes out. And then over on the Marvel side of things, we got another multiverse book titled The Variants. It's going to be a Jessica Jones-centered five-issue miniseries, also coming out in June. Uh, written by Gail Simone with art by Phil Noto. I love both of those creators. And Jessica Jones is incredible. So we're going to be seeing her teaming up with alternate versions of herself to solve a 
mystery. And you know how much I love my crime mysteries. So I'll be checking this out for sure. And then wrapping things up with TV news. Lots of TV news this week. First off, we got the official release date for Umbrella Academy Season 3. We've been waiting for a while. And it looks like June is going to be a big month for any kind of comic book fan. Because it is coming out on June 22nd, 2022. Yeah, really excited. I'm doing a uh, a watch through a rewatch with my partner through the first two seasons to prep for it. This is going to be a fun one. We also got the very first trailer. Uh, actually, I'm going to hold off on that and just talk about it real quick because I care about these less. Uh, the CW Gotham Knights casting announcements. Uh, CW's Gotham Knights. We've talked about it before. It's basically Runaways but with Batman. Uh, but we do have some casting announcements. Dwella Dent is going to be played by Olivia Rose Keegan, who is on All American, Days of Our Lives. Uh, Dwella Dent's fun. Really excited to see her. Uh, Harper Rowe is going to be showing up, played by Fallon Smythe of Lost in the West. And uh, Harper's brother, Cullen Rowe, is going to be played by Tyler DiChiara. Don't really know what he's from. Uh, we also have a Carrie Kelly. Carrie Kelly is joining this show, uh, played by Navia Robinson from Raven's Home. And I think the biggest uh, profile character, maybe, he's, I guess, supposed to be the lead. Because we thought, you know, reading the, oh, the prodigal son returns, it's not Jason Todd. It's not Damian Wayne. It's not even Tim Drake. It's a new character, ooh, named Turner Hayes. Ugh, that's gross. Why not just... Anyway, uh, Turner Hayes is going to be played by Oscar Morgan from Masters of Air. I still am not excited about this whatsoever, so we're going to move on. Uh, we got two big trailers and premiere dates. Uh, first off, the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer, which is going to be dropping uh, two months from now in May. Uh, that's really exciting. R looks good. It looks... Uh, pretty much more or less exactly how I thought it was going to look. The biggest surprise for me was that they got Owen Lars's actor back. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he's a wonderful, wonderful actor. Uh, but I was just like, oh, good. I'm glad he's here. But we've got Obi-Wan on Tatooine. We've got Obi-Wan on other planets. We've got Inquisitors. We've got all kinds of shenanigans. So this is going to be a really good one. I'm excited to watch this. One that I was less hot on was the Miss Marvel trailer. We got the very first Miss Marvel trailer as well as the premiere date. Premiere is going to be June 8th of 2022. And look, I love the tone of the show. I love the actress. I think she's going to do great. I love the costume. I love the spirit of the show. I do not like the power change. I just, I don't like it. Uh, there are people better than I am at articulating why this is a problem. Um, Troy Oboyo on uh, Twitter, shout out to him, he's wonderful, uh, did a great write-up of why this is a problem. Others in the community that uh, Kamala represents have also chimed in about why this is a problem. I am worried about this. I like the tone, but I am worried about this show because I want it to be good. I want it to be good. Everybody does. But I feel like this is Marvel getting in its own way again. Um, rumors are they changed her powers so that she wouldn't you know, be confused with Mr. Fantastic, which how would you ever confuse them? But also their powers are fundamentally different. Reed can stretch. Kamala can embiggen. Like, it's 
I don't know. If you think those are the exact same powers, then I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but honestly, I just it it feels icky thinking that oh we're changing this really interesting character because this you know old white man has very similar characters and we got to prioritize him. So I don't know. I feel weird about it. But overall, trailer looks good. Can't get past the power thing. We will wait and see the show. And then we got two announcements uh, spinning out of the Batman. First off, some sad news. The GCPD spinoff has basically been canceled, though it's that's not the word they're using. They're using the words retooled to turn the GCPD spinoff into an Arkham Asylum spinoff. I am interested in this. I'll talk more about this in the discussion that Owen and uh, Dallas and I had. But I don't know. I still would have liked a Gotham Central show. That's just me personally. But we finally got the official announcement for the Penguin spinoff. That is happening. It is coming. It's been rumored for a while. But now we officially know this thing is coming. It's going to be on HBO Max. Good for Colin Farrell. Good for the Penguin. Can't wait to see more of this. This Penguin. Hey. But that is going to wrap up. That's a terrible accent. I'm sorry. Uh, This is going to wrap up the news this week. And speaking of the Batman, that is going to roll us right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, which is a full spoiler-filled review with the Dark Knights of the Roundtable, Owen and Dallas and myself for the Batman. Welcome to part three of Bat March, the entire month dedicated to the Dark Knight, the Cape Crusader, the world's greatest detective. We've gone through some comics. We've talked about my personal top five Batman comics. And now the moment you've all been waiting for, we're talking the Batman, the film that has set the world on fire because red is the only color palette that I need in films anymore. We're talking spoilers, a spoiler-filled review of The Batman, Matt Reeves' cultural modern masterpiece that people will look back on years and decades and centuries from now and say, yeah, it was pretty good. It's pretty good. So we have The Batman, spoiler-filled review, big spoiler warning. If you haven't watched the movie, what are you doing? Go watch the movie. Or if you can't watch the movie, I respect that. I get it. Just know that we're going to be talking about spoilers here. And yes, I did say we because I am joined by the Twitter famous, in parentheses, Dark Knights of the Roundtable. First off, from the Comics Collective Podcast, we have one Dallas Taylor. Dallas, welcome back to the podcast. Hello, I'm here to talk about Taylor Swift's seminal album, Red and how it has influenced me and music going into the future. I'm looking forward to this in-depth conversation of not only the original, but Taylor's version of the album. Thank you. And the man, the myth, the legend of the Dark Knight himself, 
from the Owen Likes Comics YouTube channel, we have Mr. Owen Farrington. Uh, I think you'll find my name is Vengeance. <laughs> if you could refer to me as that. I'd like to um, intro this podcast by saying that it is Thursday, October 31st. The city streets are crowded for the holiday. Even with the rain, hidden in the chaos is the element, waiting to strike like snakes. And I'm there too, watching. Two years of nights have turned me into a nocturnal animal. I must choose my targets carefully. It's a big city. I can't be everywhere, but they don't know where I am. We have a signal now for when I'm needed. And when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning to them. Fear is a tool. They think I'm hiding in the shadows, but I am the shadows. I wish I could say I'm making a difference, but I'm not. Murder, robberies, assault. Two years later, they're all up. And now this. This city's eating itself. Maybe it can't be saved, but I have to try. I have to push myself. These nights all roll together in a rush, behind the mask. Sometimes in the morning, I have to force myself to remember everything that happened. Hi, thanks for having me on. <laughs> you know, this this was... Owen said that he had an intro and I was like, okay, he did the vengeance joke. That's fun. And then I didn't realize that this podcast is actually going to be a script reading, a yeah, table so read for read the entire, the entire film. movie. Get ready for that. Dallas is going to play Catwoman. It's going to be incredible. Yeah, I actually, I have my next lines. Uh, Loving him is like driving a new Maserati on a dead end street. <laughs> Faster than the wind. Passionate as sin. Ending so suddenly. Loving him is like trying to change your mind. Once you're already so is flying this, is this, through the is this free the, fall. Is this the Riddler talking about Batman? <laughs> we'll get there. Uh, there's eight minutes of this monologue, by the oh, way. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we're here. We've got Owen. We've got Dallas. Thanks for coming on the podcast, guys. We're talking about The Batman, the 2022 film uh, that is another Batman reboot. Not one Batman, but another Batman. The Batman, Batman, if you will. Like that. that was great. That was great. Uh, gentlemen, we've seen this. We've seen it how many times? Because I just saw it for the second time. Dallas, how many times have you seen it? Twice? I've also seen it twice. Owen, you've seen it a hundred times. Twice. Point. Okay, twice. cool. So we're on the same on the same level. That's good. But I think I was... about it constantly. It hasn't left my mind. And so if I'm responsible a... for the 1200% uptick in nirvana listens in the last oh, week. i thought you were gonna say crime <laughs> also crime cool i mean it is Are you just trying to get robert pattinson to come and beat your ass actually uh, don't listen that oh oh <laughs> i said yes. beat dallas i mean <laughs> yes to both yes to... <laughs> though anyway I do you mean, want me to keep reading the script you know i think we'll get there Enter eventually C. mayor mitchell's body <laughs> he nope. starts alive you son of a bitch he starts alive we get that really creepy what does a liar do when he's dead eric uh he's he's he dies he still lies he continues to lie right justice it's justice answer is justice i love this movie this is so good so we are we're doing a spoiler filled review um Guys, is it a review, or can we just like say abstract quotes from the movie? 
Oh, that's context. that's on this podcast. Because I just want to say thumb allowed. drive for an hour. Thumb drive. If I've learned one thing from Comic Tube, it's that a review is just me rehashing the plot of the thing. So yeah. I have I have no more thoughts to give. Just... Okay, great, 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 great. So, uh, fuck. Uh, so basically, um, also just I I really I'm just gonna call you guys man like every other every mm-hmm. couple lines. Oh, Come on, man. Come on, man. We gotta go, man. Man. Fucking best Jim Gordon. So uh first off, just general thoughts um of the film. I'll go first. I just it's it's incredible how high my expectations were this were for this and how well it exceeded them. Um I think it's that's that would be, I suppose, difficult to do given it's three hour runtime. They've got time to fit everything in there, but even after three hours, I still want to live in the world. I still want to learn more about the characters. And I I absolutely adored this film. Uh, Dallas, general thoughts on the film before we get into the nitty gritty? Um, 10 out of 10, Colin Farrell's New York voice uh, spoke to me on a spiritual level. <laughs> um, I adored this movie. I feel like I had pretty high expectations as well. I liked everything I'd seen out of the promotion for this film and it still exceeded those so, so much above anything I could have expected. And I feel like it rekindled in me a love for superhero movies that had begun to dwindle in recent months. For sure. And I mean, the the first DC fandom trailer is still the best superhero film of 2020. Like, bar none. Still, I think it's still my favorite movie of 2020. It's incredible. Owen, general thoughts on the film? Yeah, I hated it. I was just like, I was watching it and it was like, it was like watching a Marvel movie, but without any of the jokes. Yeah, I really, I didn't think he was quippy enough. I would have really appreciated more needle drops. There should have been a scene where, where Batman confronts the Riddler and like the Riddler says like, I am the Riddler. And then it cuts to Bruce and he goes like, really, that's it? I would have really liked if the villain, instead of being the Riddler, was just like Batman, but a Batman. little bit more evil. I mean, that is kind of what we get, but we get it in an actually interesting way. I actually would have preferred if Batman went up against Jack Nicholson's Joker from Batman 89, pulled just before <laughs> But it's like current day death. Jack Nicholson doing Yeah. No, because he looked like before... the Joker from Earth 2. Maybe. Or the Joker from the end of Batman Earth 1. I... What a mystery. I had to, I had to read it so was. you have to remember it. Um, <sighs> yeah, no, this movie rules. <laughs> I've seen it twice. I saw it last Friday and I saw it on Sunday. And I'd basically been, you know, like how in the movie Bruce has like the contact lenses and he just constantly replays those nights. Yep. Mm-hmm. I've just been doing that with the movie, to be honest. It's great. It's everything I love about Batman. I'm a huge fan of Matt Reeves as a filmmaker. I've loved pretty much every one of his films. Cloverfield is like, Love. that was like the first time I really like noticed like guerrilla film marketing and like the whole like ARG mystery of it. That was like the first time I was really like captivated by a movie I knew nothing about. And like, I have such a personal affinity for that. His apes movies are maybe the most underrated blockbuster series of like mm-hmm. a generation. They are amazing mm-hmm. movies. And when he got announced that he was directing a Batman film, I was so excited because he's an amazing filmmaker. 
And then he started talking about his reading of Batman and the comics that he loves and the kind of movie he wants to make. And everything felt like it was it was made for me. You know, I, I've been saying for years that they should do like a more like film noir style Batman movie, yeah. like, you know, like a David Fincher style. They should pull from like Earth One and pull from like New 52 Batman. And then I, I was even saying that Paul Dano should play the Riddler. And then he, he does it and he's amazing. Like, it felt like a movie that was, like, made for me and my sensibilities. It pulls reference from all of my favourite Batman comics. It pulls reference from some of my favourite films. Um, you know, Zodiac, Chinatown, The French Connection. Incredible movies. And, yeah, it's just great. Yeah, I, uh, quick note, I will never forgive Cloverfield. I love the movie but I will never forgive it for that first trailer that made me think we were getting a Voltron movie. I I remember distinctly watching this trailer for the first time. And as they're rushing through the streets, someone shouts like, it's huge, it, it's alive. But to my ears, I heard it's huge, it's a lion. And I'm like, we're getting Voltron. <laughs> we're getting Voltron. And I was convinced... I was convinced Cloverfield was actually a Voltron movie by another name until I got into the theater and watched Cloverfield. And it was still an awesome movie. Oh, absolutely. I do feel bad though, because it's like, it's still, now it's not even the best Cloverfield movie, but it no. still rocks. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. And Matt Reeves is a phenomenal filmmaker. And just like you were saying, like I loved everything that I was hearing. Every single time he'd do a new interview or he'd pop up at fandom, I'm like, yes, you were going to need to feed this directly into my veins. And then we got him coupled with Greg Frazier, who absolutely demolished, knew exactly what the exactly what the assignment was and exceeded every expectation. This I movie just, is gorgeous. I can't believe they got the cinematographer of June to do this movie. They are like the two most visually stunning <laughs> films I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I mean, it's the only pretty Star Wars movie comes from the same time. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, like wrong. Rogue One is a great looking movie. It's a very boring movie that looks... At least I looks love nice. Rogue One. I Eric, love that no. Movie. I Eric, love no. that movie and I love Doomsday Clock and I will not be silenced... Anyway, so anyway. I'm kicking Eric off of his podcast. Yeah, so welcome was... to the Geeksplain podcast. We're here to talk about good things like <laughs> The Batman by Matt Reeves. To fill the void of Eric, we're also going to give our review of the Apes movies, all three of them impromptu. <laughs> it's funny you say that because I do actually want to have a conversation about the Apes movies in my review of The Batman for an important reason. Once we get into like the big themes of the movie. I do actually want to talk apes a little bit. I mean, bit, I, I agree. I think it's because Edward Cullen went ape shit on some people's <laughs> face with his fists. Boy, did he! Not he turned once, people to fruit twice. smoothies. Yeah. Oh, well, I I use the mashed potato analogy, but that's equally valid. Oh, raspberry puree. Yeah. Bananas. And yet, like, he still didn't kill anyone in this movie. He didn't kill a single person, and that's that's something not directly. Not directly. Really, not directly. <laughs> I don't have to save you. Uh, yeah, not that, not that indirectly. Yeah. But I, so the thing I about loved that. about this is that it felt legitimate. Like we're all, every single time you know a comic book movie comes out, it feels like it's chasing the dragon of like trying to put a comic book on screen. And this is, I think, the closest I've ever gotten to being like, oh, this is visually a graphic novel. 
that I'm watching. This is a motion comic. Like, from the costuming to the performances to the set design to the action, like, it felt like this was legit a, you know, six-issue prestige DC Black Label series that was just put on the screen, and I ate it up. Everything. Yeah. It is. And it's funny because like the one thing going into this movie, I wasn't sure how I felt was the costume. Fair. And like I felt like I really need to see it in motion to judge what I thought about it. You know, I'm someone that I've not been a huge fan of many of the on-screen Batman costumes. You know, I have a personal love for the Keaton suit because that's like the first Batman I remember. Of course. There's a weird part of me that likes the Clooney suit and I will not back down from that. The Bale suits, I was never a huge fan of. Like, I get it. It's not for me. And then Affleck's suit was like a a big step in the right direction. But I still felt like it needed work to like feel like what I would want Batman to look like. And so when we got like the first, like the costume test and like promotional images, I wasn't really sure how I felt about this. And then it was like, I distinctly remember the moment which I was like, no, this is my favorite Batman suit. And it's when he walks in to the crime scene with Gordon and like he's passing through all the cops and you get the shot where the cop in front of the door kind of like puts his hand out and tries to stop Batman coming in. And you just get like this full body shot of like of Batman in the suit. And I'm just like, that's beautiful. It's perfect. And I love like, so many small things I love about this movie. Like because the cowl's like stitched and made of leather, anytime he turns his head, you get like this like leathery sound. I love that one because he's a bat leather wings all that good stuff but also it just sounds cool i've been walking around every day since i've watched this movie in doc martin's trying to make my boots make the exact same noise <laughs> i was gonna say like the best thing that they did was put batman in those heavy ass steel boots like well he... that's it every time he walks into a scene it's like robocop yeah it's like robocop mixed with like jason Voorhees. like he but just as well like it's almost like there's almost like a western element to it as well for sure very very like it much sounds the like spurs. he's got like the spurks on his boots he's like like it's very like like an old gunslinger like walking into town like the sheriff arriving yeah, yeah. I, I only know westerns through the lens of the mandalorian so it was very similar it's like me. the mandalorian but not in space have oh. you seen logan uh is that one in space uh yeah let's go with that okay yeah i've seen that um, See, yeah, like, um, being I, I being from Utah, I'd like to talk about the hitching posts I had at high school and the spurs I wore walking oh, around do. with my little cowboy hat. See, the only spurs, uh, your very know, little cowboy hat. The only Just spurs a... I know are a mediocre football club from London. So please continue. <laughs> and I think hey, a we have a mediocre team. spurs yeah, club too. We also have <laughs> villains, active villains of the NBA. You know, San Antonio Spurs. So, so different yet such such similar. <laughs> We just parallel each other. We're, over we're literally over just Earth One and Earth Two. I've I've been convinced oh, for a very wait, long time. Is that Britain Dallas... like the Golden Age, like Earth? Absolutely, because oh, you've got sense. all the old people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've and... been convinced for a very long time that Dallas is just Earth One Owen. I mean, we both have the round glasses here. This is yeah. is this a flash crossover? I'm just saying. How do you feel about that? Something me like the Jay Garrick. Dallas, I think you're older than me. That just makes sense. 
No, I think you're older than me. I turned 25 in a week. Oh, and you just shit. turned 25. Shit, you're oh, right. You're only... We're both 25. So, joke's on me. I'm apparently Alan Scott. And, uh... Because <laughs> I turned 30 your... this year. Is that why you shaved your beard off? So you That's can why. look like... So you I'm, need I'm to, to hide to get into a bar. I'm trying like to hide into the Earth 3. I'm trying to hide on Earth 3. Uh, it's... I'm... Older. It's so he can wear the cowl. Uh, he Shut exposed up, the Dallas. chin for the cowl. Up, Dallas. This Batman suit was the first time I saw a Batman suit that I was like, you're not going to call him out for the chin because yeah. you see that hulking mass walk into the room versus that sickly little Bruce Wayne. I was like, those are different people. Bruce yeah, Wayne came in looking like a physical transformation. He came into meetings looking like he smelled like mildew. <laughs> and you're like, have you had uh, any iron in your diet ever? <laughs> and he's like, no, I haven't. And then Batman came in like, sorry, just got done ripping my cig outside. Gonna beat the shit out of you. <laughs> no, yeah, it's so it's, true. It's, it's almost it's... like, you know, the bit in Superman 78 where like Christopher Reeve like pumps his shoulders out and yeah. goes from Clark into Superman. Because he just, yeah. he holds himself differently. And like, yeah. what, what I love in... He, in Batman is just where, built different. He really is. What I love in the scene where, like, we see Robert Pattinson, like, just as Bruce. Like, when he comes out, he's, like, putting the sunglasses on. He's got the hangover oh, he, sunglasses. When he does his Tommy Wiseau impression. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, he needed, hi, he really needed, like, a chain on his, on his jeans. He did. He just, I looked at him and I was like, you were me in the late 2000s. That's, I looked at him and I was I like, you're just exactly like me for like real. <laughs> it's me we right now. Re- we love a relatable Bruce Wayne. It's true. It's true. But I... I too hate sunlight. I, <laughs> especially after a long night. I too don't know the touch of a woman. <laughs> I just get uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I... I'm usually not a fan of like the armored Batman. Like I, I like, I like my cloth Batman. I like that his costume can get torn, but the second that he stepped out there and his cape didn't touch the ground, but he's got, when he steps out onto the uh, subway uh, station and he's just like decked out, he's like, I am ready to fucking rage. Let's do this. I was transfixed. Like, is that, is that the best like introduction to Batman we've seen? In I movie? I would love I to so. touch. I would love to touch on that because yes. as someone who rides the subway early in the morning and late at night, like in New York City, where it looks exactly like this movie, like there have been times where, like I'm a big dude, and so I'm never that frightened on the subway. But there have been times I'm like I'm in a sketchy place right now, and I should leave. I should not be here, and so like. I felt like they captured that fear in a scene where there was just this urban fear for a minute where like something bad is going to happen that I can't control and no one is going to save me because everyone's looking out for themselves. And then to just hear and see Batman come up. I, I feel like I felt it for the first time. I felt the, the terror I'm supposed to feel, but also like the swell of, Oh, thank goodness. He's here. He's going to save us from the city. It's really interesting you say that as well, because I have like kind of a similar feeling. I know you describe how like the Gotham of like this world is very like, it's very like taxi driver, like 80s era New York, Mm -hmm. but not in a Joker way. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. But like, 
you know, most of this movie was filmed like not far away from where I live. Mm -hmm. The majority, like a good chunk of this movie is filmed in Liverpool. Like two of the big set pieces of the movie take place in like really famous local landmarks. The funeral scene for the mayor takes place at St. George's Hall, a place I was was literally inside a month ago. And like the scene where like he escapes from the GCPD and he like glides off off the top of the building is like the Liver building, some of the most famous buildings in the city. And like seeing that, because Liverpool's like quite a historic city, you know, it's got a ton of Gothic architecture. So as soon as they said like they were filming parts of Batman, I think they filmed it in Liverpool and Glasgow. Like it made so much sense. But like seeing it on screen, seeing places that I've like walked past a thousand times, it's just like such like a surreal feeling. Yeah, and the I will I will argue that this has the best opening to a Batman movie that I've ever seen. Like the monologue of him going through the uh, going through the streets. I I knew I was going to fall in love with this movie when they started showing the fear montage of just the criminals doing like petty crimes, and then they just happen to see like a dark corner, and it makes them think, "Oh no, is he there?" Like I, that's Batman, and that coupled it, with him saying like I can't be everywhere. Yes, but they think I am, and that's that's the whole deal. That's what Batman, especially in this early stage of Batman, where he's just year two, and it's like, is Batman real? Like, is this a like? Did Johnny on the block like actually run up against Batman, or did he just trip on the curb again? Like, yeah. it's this fear that is just permeating through the city. The city looks incredible. I think it is the most Gotham's, Gotham city we've gotten in a very long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't look like Chicago or Pittsburgh, which I loved. The Gothic architecture, which like you said, is drawn mostly from shooting it on location, is so, it does such a great job in selling it. And when you do finally get that moment of him just like clunk, clunk, clunking into the scene, I was like, that's Batman. It's like also that scene as well, just to keep talking about the Batman's like first like, proper appearance on the train scene. It reminds me so much of Vader's introduction in A New Hope as well. Yes. Especially with like how much like Michael Giacchino's Batman score kind of borrows from the Imperial March. See, everyone and, like, says that and I don't hear it. I Maybe hear it. It's just like, me. I can hear how it might have been an influence. Like the obvious like comparison is something in the way it's literally the same notation. Fair. just played in a different like pattern um but like especially like given greg frazier shot rogue one as well and shot that vader scene there's a very similar scene in the movie where batman is kind of busting his way through the iceberg lounge looking for penguin God, so good um and yeah like the open like our first introduction to batman like when he comes out the shadows on the train platform like reminded me a lot of robocop but it also reminded me a lot of like vader's introduction in a new hope well, they make Batman into a slasher villain that we're rooting for in this yeah. movie. Batman appears on the scene and you're like, oh, this is Michael Myers. He's blowing up the scene. You know what? And- it's funny you say that because I think like the actual opening scene where you see like the Riddler like working his way into the house and killing the mayor reminds oh. me so much of the opening scene from Halloween. Mm-hmm. I remember there was an audible gasp when mayor mitchell turns away and you see the, the, just, you see you the see reflection. reflection there was an audible gasp in my theater and i even was like oh fuck like i was it's, not it's such expecting a chilling that. introduction 
this was such a good movie to see in a theater. Yeah. Just feeling the energy of the crowd as people were frightened, excited, as people laughed at jokes that weren't just punchlines, but just yes. were actually funny. The film like, is surprisingly funny and it's clever humor. It's not quippy humor. And I know there's, I am always totally okay with quippy humor when it's used correctly, but I loved the clever deadpan humor that was used here. Owen brought it up earlier, the thumb drive. Like, I just, I remember busting. I mean, Penguin has the funniest line in the movie. Which one? Which one? There's no one else know the difference between L and La. Yeah, he's got so many good lines. Like that entire scene where he is just like verbally berating Gordon and Batman for being awful cops. Come on! Come on! Uh, don't show me that! Ah! ah! <laughs> if this movie was being made in the 80s, like that would have been Joe Pesci and it would have been incredible. Oh, it, absolutely, 100%. Colin and, Farrell was the standout for me in this, though. Like, he was incredible. That but penguin like, spoke to me. <laughs> <laughs> Is it because he's also a New York dweller? A New York. It's because I work for him. Yeah. I, I'm one of the minions it. sitting at work, like, are we the bat? Are you the penguin? I knew I what? recognized you last time I was at the Iceberg Lounge. Yeah, yeah literally you, you every were, other you day. You one of the guys at the door. Yeah, every other day. I'm like, do I work for the mob? I'm not going to pull on that thread. I'm not going to pull on that thread. Just take my paycheck and go home. Can if I they know, I know. The twins at the door made me so incredibly happy seeing them. And I'm like, I know who those are. Because either A, they're Tweedledee and Tweedledum, which I absolutely loved, or they're the ginger twins who were the uh, henchmen of Two-Face in the animated series. And I I was falling over myself, and no one else, like, I was freaking out when I saw them in the theater, and no one else around me. I visibly fist-bumped at the moment, because I've been reading all the Earth One books recently for a video I did. So they're really fresh in my mind. And I have like a weird relationship with those books. I think the first I think volume and does. half of the second volume is like some of my favorite Batman stuff. And then I think the second half of volume two and volume three is some of the worst Batman stuff. But I love like, you know, I'm a big ultimate comics guy. So I love that kind of more grounded and like modern take on Batman that like could never be told in the normal continuity. And like the moment where you get like the Riddler reveals that Martha is an Arkham. Like, I visibly fist pumped in the air because, like, that's Earth One. Hell yeah. yeah. And, like, when the, the scene where Bruce and Gordon, like, go to, like, the orphanage that's, like, kind of implied to be the original Wayne Manor before yeah. they move to the tower, it reminds mm-hmm. me so much of the big climax from Volume One of Earth One, yep. where Batman, Gordon, and Bullock go to rescue Barbara from the birthday boy. Yeah, at Arkham Manor. And yeah. I. Ugh. And also just a quick thing. I love that Wayne Tower has the stupid bat ears from Snyder and Capullo's run. Like mm-hmm. I love when it's like when he's driving up for the first time and it pans up and you see that building with the bat ears on it. And I'm like, yes. I just love like the interior like architecture. Like, it looks like he lives um, in a castle. He, he lives yeah. in Rules. Tim Burton's nightmares. Like Yeah, but it, it looks like and I'd love to like hear but Matt Reeves and the set designers talk about this. It looks like so. This is going to get really pretentious. So there's like in Barcelona, there's a massive cathedral that's like they've been constructing for hundreds of years called La Sagrada Familia. 
I just read about it in Doom Patrol. So yes, I am familiar. <laughs> well, I've been inside of it, Dallas. Well, and it never was mind. So anyway, Owen's kick off the podcast now. Um, now me and, and Eric are talking like, about. We're going to talk about our same, plebeian yeah. peasant life experiences. It has like the exact same like architectural, like super like gothic and stylized look inside of it, and like it's cool. When I saw like the scene where like Alfred's like trying to crack the cipher, and Bruce comes in and puts the sunglasses on, it was like that looks like it does. It looks like somewhere like a vampire would live, but not in like an Edward Cullen way, in like a Dracula way. No, because Edward Cullen lives in a regular house in Seattle. Like that's like all great vampires. Like all great vampires. But real quick, you mentioned it. I I want to bring up that scene because Alfred has been getting a lot of shit from people in reviews for this movie, and I loved Andy Serkis's Alfred. But wait, Andy Serkis mm-hmm. has maybe like the best monologue in the film. Yeah, but in that scene specifically, because I love his introduction. Right, it's. Bruce getting home from a night of kicking ass and they're talking about like oh the cypher and he's just like yeah I don't understand any of this he shows him the card and he tells him to go take a shower and he's like oh you're not my dad and he runs off like every emo kid has at one point and the very next scene Bruce comes down he's putting his shirt on and he goes downstairs and Alfred's working on the cipher and I was like that's such an Alfred Pennyworth thing to do and it, it's funny because like Andy Serkis doesn't have a big part in this movie like no. he has like three scenes really I mean because he was too busy directing the smash hit Venom Let There Be Carnage mm-hmm. of course a movie that I watched instantly forgot I watched it and then watched it again a month later <laughs> and only halfway through the movie did I realize I'd already seen it <laughs> So he he was busy with with bigger obligations, um, but yeah, like circus is amazing. Like the scene of them two in the hospital, yeah, is like brings me to tears. The bit where Alfred basically like says like, "I raised you to be a soldier. You needed a father." Yeah, like it's so it's everything Bruce needs to hear for his emotional journey. It like it brings him and Alfred closer together, and I also think. Like we'll get it. I'm sure we'll get into speculation about sequels. For sure. But to me, that is like the biggest indicator that at some point in this series we are going to see Dick Grayson, and Bruce is going to become the father that he wished he had. And the relationship between Bruce and Alfred, which is very much influenced, I think, by Earth One. Oh, absolutely. um, For me, like struck a chord because, like, I. I don't know if I've I'm I've made it fairly clear on the podcast. You know, I haven't always had like the best relationship with my father, but there were moments when I was growing up where there were little things like, um, you know, I'd I'd be talk you know in the conversations that we would have, you know, I'd mention like a comic book or I'd mention something, and like you know, a week later, that comic book would be in my room, and I didn't, you know, we never talked about it. We never, but it was like little things that like, maybe we weren't on the same page, but it was little things that, yeah, I still love you. Like, yeah, we disagree all the time. And that's like, that scene meant so much to me seeing him like Bruce didn't ask Alfred to go look at the cipher, but like he goes down and he sees he's, he's working on it because he is, I think almost more so than any of the other Alfreds before he is part of the presentation of the Batman. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine, as much as I love him as Alfred, was peripheral to Batman's war on crime. He was always the guy who Batman, who Bruce was explaining stuff to. He wanders in, they have a chat, 
he tells him about my my adventures in Burma and then like we move on but like this Alfred felt like he was genuinely part he was part of the con in the mm -hmm. way that like he raised Bruce he trained him he like brought him up and that has like Owen said like created this division between them where Alfred wants to care for him and Bruce does care for Alfred but they don't know exactly how to communicate it which makes that hospital scene so heartbreaking and so yeah. incredibly heartwarming yeah and, and I love that scene as well because I feel like it's the first time we really get a sense of like the real Bruce Wayne because like this movie is called The Batman for good reason like Pattinson is barely not in the costume um, whenever he's on screen and anytime that we see him not in costume he is still Batman like the scene where he goes to the funeral the scene with him and Alfred that we were talking about he is just Batman that's all he is there is no like there's not only like not the like billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne like the public persona yeah, that, yeah. but there's also not like the inner child Bruce Wayne that like guides both personas he's just Batman and like I think the movie does a good job of showing that that's very self-destructive and very dangerous from the off but that scene with him and Alfred in the hospital, like, it's like the first time we see Bruce really let, like, his guard down and just be himself. And, like, it's so, like, it's not only, like, such a cathartic scene in the context of his and Alfred's relationship. It's such a pivotal scene in, like, where Bruce goes in this movie where he starts as, like, I am the darkness, I am the shadows, I am the personification of vengeance. And he ends it with this realization, like, no, I need to be a hero. I need to inspire people and give them hope. When things are rough and when people are in, like, peril, they don't need fear. They need inspiration. I have to become more. I have to kind of, like, transcend the image that I'm presenting and build a legacy that, like, people will rally behind. He basically gives, like, a Superman speech at the end of the movie. And well, it's, it's the best thing ever. It's very New Frontier. It's very it Batman Absolutely. realizes that he can't be fear. He can't be vengeance. But he anymore. can't just be fear. He has to be, he can be fearful, but that can't be all he is because and then again, he inspires the wrong kind of people. Again, I think to go to your point, we're going to get a, a Robin in this. Yes, like this to. movie yeah. leaves off on that new frontier note of, oh, I have to become a symbol of hope as well. I think and I, the thing for me that like really indicates we're going to get a Robin is both that scene with Alfred saying, you know, you needed a father, but then also just knowing how much Matt Reeves loves Dark Victory. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like in all the interviews where he talks about his influences in the film, he talks so much about how much he loves that comic. And that is like Batman year one for Dick Grayson. Yeah. And I love the idea as well that now by the end of this movie, Batman has accepted that he needs to be a symbol of hope. And adopt Introducing a whole bunch of Dick Grayson. And especially like how much of like the idea of like being an orphan is a part of this movie, whether mm. it's like the mayor's kid, whether it's Bruce, whether it's, you know, the Riddler. I love that idea of not only Batman giving to Dick what he, Alfred couldn't have given him at the time and like essentially like closing the loop on that, but then also the idea of introducing Dick Grayson as a very vengeful and like bitter person who, you know, after his parents die, all he wants to do is get vengeance and having Batman kind of guide him and show him the way. So he doesn't, it's like the scene from uh, Young Justice where Batman's talking to Wonder Woman. He's like, you know, she says, what, so Dick can grow up and be like you? And Batman says, no, he's, he's Robin, so that he doesn't. Like, that is 
exactly that's such like a logical next step for his journey in Arkin. I trust Matt Reeves enough to like his love and reverence of the Batman world. Like, you know, Christopher Nolan did an amazing job with his series, but personally, I always felt like he kind of turned his nose up at the idea of Robin. For sure. And like, it was literally like one of the last scenes of the last movie where he kind of like threw a Robin grenade in the distance and then ran as far as he could from it. Whereas like, I feel like Reeves embraces that side of the character and Dick Grayson is like, he's the ultimate personification of hope in the Batman world. He is like the light to Bruce's dark. And like that's what makes their dynamic so incredible. And I think like, I'm so excited to see Reeves tackle that because I think like the idea of making Bruce a father is such a rich idea to take this character in. I think what makes me excited about Reeves' take on all of these characters is that the this movie is not a singular adaptation of one comic. It feels like Reeves read a bunch of comics and then brought all that with him into well, that's it. It, it's the so movie, many you know? things like yeah. the monologue and like the setting is so year one. Like the murder mystery style is Long Halloween. You know the like the grounded like a character approach is very Earth One. The third act is literally ripped out of zero year. And like, there's a lot of Batman ego and like the psychology of the character. Like it's really pulling like a greatest hits of not only like the most famous Batman stories, but the stories that understand Batman the best. And I mean, even beyond that, it's very, the Arkham video game series. Like watching Telltale that last as well. Yeah. Watching that last act. I was like, oh, I'm playing Arkham again. When he's yes. hanging all the people from the cords. It's, it's exciting because it feels like for the first time, people aren't embarrassed of who Batman is. They're not trying to make Batman anything other than Batman. And it's exciting. And it makes me excited to see all these other characters I love pulled in. Where in the past, I've been like, well, I don't really want Christopher Nolan's Poison Ivy. You know, like, I, yeah. I feel like that would be weird. <laughs> and it's that's the cool thing as well, because like, this is a very grounded and realistic movie. And yet it still feels like a world where like supernatural and fantastical characters can exist. It's like, you know, the Nolan films very much prided themselves on being this very realistic and true to life depiction of Batman. And like in those movies, like I didn't think Mr. Freeze would fit in in that world. And yet I can imagine Matt Reeves making like a perfect adaptation of like Heart of Ice and not Absolutely. having to like ground Mr. Freeze in the way that like say Nolan grounded Bane. Right. Where like they took away a lot of the over the top elements of that character and stripped I'm him back. I want a I Bane. Think Reeves would double down on it. I want Bane from Reeves so badly. Absolutely, Only he and wears and a and trench coat and a hat like in Batman and Robin. I I think it's the thing about this world and the you know the the Gotham City that we see is very much like you guys are saying like it is a comic book world that does have touches of realism, where the Nolan films were realistic that had touches of comic book isms, yeah. and I think that. This is a world, and they've made it very clear that there's no way that there's ever going to be like a Batman Superman crossover with Matt Reeves. But, but this is a world that it could. This is a world. <laughs> I don't want to hear about it. This is a world that like they've got to fight. Have they've got to fight the three Jokers. Stop. Nicholson, Letta, Batman three, three and Jokers, Phoenix, <laughs> and then I, all the Batman have to team up. I think the thing that in the movie I love three about Jokers. Stop. 
we are going to get an animated three I, jokers film it's just going to happen but i can't believe i've just said that into existence that's going to happen now <laughs> but the, so the, the thing about like the reeves film is that it takes those familiar trappings that we are used to it takes gotham alfred batman all of these things that we're used to but puts it through a lens that we haven't gotten on film yet which is the detective the war aspect you know yeah. getting the voiceovers getting the actual detective work if my thing because i've always loved detective stories i've always loved murder mysteries uh that's something i think was done really well owen mentioned it earlier in zodiac and this film if you are following the clues along you will be able to solve it alongside Bruce, which I really adore. I had no idea that the tool was a carpet tool, but someone who knows that tool, they're going to know what it is. And they're going to know, yeah. okay, why is he using a carpet tool? Like, I love the attention to detail and stuff like that, because it could very easily be like, oh, and it was this the entire time. And there were no clues towards it. There's no way you're able to solve it. But if you're paying attention... And very much like in the uh, in the Telltale games, which I absolutely adore, uh, which was one of at least my first experiences with this idea of like, oh, maybe the Waynes were corrupt and they kind of sucked sometimes. I think the attention to detail when it comes to problem solving and when it comes to balancing the detective aspect alongside the action, because there is a lot of action in this film. The fight scenes are are gorgeous dallas brought it up earlier that final fight where batman drops in and starts battling with the army of incel riddlers like it was phenomenal and i don't want anyone anyone to ever again say hey you know if you want to see a perfect batman scene you watch the warehouse fight batman v remember when he, no remember when he throws a crate at a guy's head and you see and the kills splatter? him yeah like, it's cool visually, cool. sure, but if you want a true Batman fight yeah. scene, you plug in this. This it's, is going it's to when be he crashes through the skylight. It's like the mm -hmm. most Batman introduction. The glass to falling ever. and him just coming down with a cape oh, outstretched. I love the moment where he slingshots himself up and just rolls to knock two of them down. Yeah. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. it's inventive, it's fun, it's kinetic, and it keeps your attention the entire time through without getting you lost in the sauce like there's no like super janky jump cuts between like punching yeah. and fighting bits i mean they pull back the camera in a way that nolan wouldn't do in his right. movies they the jason bornification of action <laughs> is finally ending and i'm so happy because i like to see what the hell is happening when we're fighting i like seeing the choreography i like seeing the style the the pop of it all and, and i brilliant. think that's that's utilized really well in that club fight when he first fights his way into the iceberg lounge they do a great job tracking him without making it feel stagnant and watching him just wail on people there's from him wailing on the twins to him getting shot with the shotgun the first time it's one take yeah. it's a one cut and not like to not to say it's on in. the same levels of like choreography but in terms of how that scene shot and lit it gave me like really big like John Wick vibes. Absolutely, totally agree. Like especially because John movie... Wick loves to have fights in clubs. Yeah, like not to say that the action in this movie is on the levels of a John Wick, though I would love it if it was. Uh, like, birds of prey. I think I think we might get right there. I think we might get there eventually. But like just in the way that the action is shot and projected to us, 
like that scene in the iceberg lounge in like particular really like reminded me of those movies yeah and it's and i i also love the way that utilizing that iceberg lounge as a three-act joke as you yeah. know first he fights his way in as batman then he goes in as bruce and the third time he doesn't even like try to interact with the twins he just slips in and locks one of them out like i love that as well though because it goes with what i'm saying about bruce's thematic journey yeah is it's finding that balance between like the different personas he's gonna have to embody like there are, there are three bruce waynes there is batman there is like cool billionaire playboy and then there is like you know it's the id the ego and the super ego it all, it all goes back to freud and seeing bruce try three different approaches to varying successes i think that's not a coincidence absolutely it's, it's the journey that everyone goes on when they play an assassin's creed game for the first and also time. it's like I oh think i can fight I, this oh wait also, no I, I, I didn't expect Batman in. to go to more nightclubs in one movie than I've been to in the last two years. Well, I mean, he's got to try and have sex somewhere, right? Alex? No, he doesn't. Batman, I <laughs> the best thing this movie did was <laughs> validate, confirmed. validate my stupid joke that I've been doing for two months. Batman <laughs> has, has never had sex, and he, this one certainly hasn't. And that was so funny to i felt so seen Look, honestly i can suspend my disbelief a lot <laughs> but if you're gonna tell me that robert pattinson does not fuck he smells like mildew movie, he smells like mildew and cries in his basement yeah. did you see how uncomfortable he got when zoe kravitz was on the scene she'd walk up and he'd be like oh no uh <laughs> here's my chiclet teeth um i'm gonna go fight a guy he does have very good teeth <laughs> You could see he had Wallace and Gromit teeth in yes. one of the scenes. And I was like, excellent. This is well, my Batman. And speaking of which, let, let's talk Catwoman for a second. Because I thought oh. Zoe Kravitz was. Oh. I loved. The I, best I will performance say, in the movie, I'd say. Which is such a stretch because like everyone is like these, 10 out of 10 of performances. Best performances in the movie. I really enjoyed Anne Hathaway as Catwoman in Dark Knight Rises. I think she was mm-hmm. actually one of the standouts mm. of that film. But Zoe Kravitz blows her out of the water it's no there's no question to me like as soon as we see her pop up for the first time and it's like okay there's something else going on here i've i love the choice of the really ridiculously long nails that's something that it's like you would never see in like the realistic nolan isms i i loved zoe kravitz in this film and i don't love zoe kravitz in a lot of films <gasps> i i'm sorry it's just she hasn't she's never really struck but me Eric, as somebody who i'm like oh she's great but, but Eric, she's in the movie where they find the fantastic beasts she's also in the movie where they find the x-men but that's not i'm not i don't oh, come yeah, away she's... from x-men first class saying my favorite character was zoe kravitz but she's also in my mom television big little lies and is she, that? she is <laughs> i love mom television and when her reese witherspoon and laura dern come together like the avengers for big little you know, lies that, that is enough to get me to watch that show I, I listen yeah, i'm gonna have listen. to watch it now they had exactly one book and they did the whole book in one season they went well this is just too good and they made up their own batshit second season oh like in get, it, like game of thrones it's hey. like game of thrones but it ended in a way that i was like ah love it more mom television please someone pass me a, mo- a mimosa yeah exactly give me my white wine put on the next reese witherspoon thing um, who brought the cheese board where what are we doing here 
Zoe brought the cheese board in this movie, frankly. Boy, yeah, did she. she's incredible. She's fantastic. Like, and listen, she, she plays it in a way that it's like this isn't the Catwoman that we know, but you know she's maybe one step behind. And the next time we see her, that's going to be straight up comic book Catwoman. But I also I loved because, like, this suit. I yes. loved this portrayal of Catwoman. I liked that she felt tactile in the same way that Pattinson's felt tactile. I feel like every Catwoman has honestly been a perfect Catwoman for her Batman universe. Especially Halle Berry. Halle Berry. Exactly. Yes, thank you. Um, she, I mean, just remember the basketball scene. Incredible cinema. I don't want to think about it. I, <laughs> That's what this movie was missing, honestly. Honestly, she could probably beat Robert Pattinson in basketball. I, I believe it. I would 100%. too. I, if Robert Pattinson had... He can't if play he, basketball. Do they have basketballs in... Uh, no, it, it's been outlawed in, for 200 years. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Jordan basket- came... <laughs> Jordan came space, in one summer and they're just like, we're here. done here. Like, mm. this, this isn't happening. We got to outlaw this like, so he doesn't come back two, and like, embarrass mainstream, us. The only two like mainstream films to be banned in Britain in the last century are Clockwork Orange and Space Jam. I mean, yeah, if I had to watch someone else play a sport that well, I'd ban it too. You guys, <laughs> what, you invented football and the whole world got better than you. We invent basketball and we can convince everyone to add it to the Olympics so we can win at some things. It's brilliant. <laughs> it's the best play we've ever had. <laughs> it's the long con. Much like Selena Kyle. Exactly. She's it all so comes back together. I, I just want to keep saying she's so good in this movie. Selena Kyle has been there for me at every stage of my life. When I was seven years old watching Batman Returns and she licked Batman's face, I went, well, that made me tingly in a way I have to figure out. And <laughs> then... <laughs> <laughs> I got a Peter Tingle. And then in my teenage years, watching Anne Hathaway be Catwoman, I went, that made me tingle in a way I'm well familiar with. And now, <laughs> as an adult man, watching this, I went, Selena, you've always been there for me, my darling. And it's funny, because like I, I wasn't, when we first saw the looks at like the costumes, I wasn't in love with the little beanie mask that she I had. Love it. But seeing it on film, just like Owen said earlier with the Batsuit, like, mm. I loved it. And I loved how like it, it's perfect it all for feels. the context of of its movie. Yeah. Well, I also feel like with these looks, Owen, you hit it right on the head. They look good in motion. I feel like they design costumes for the movies that will be seen in motion. Will be seen. They don't look too tactile. They don't look too comic booky. Because I mean, you look at Bale's suit, and it it looks good, but it's it's not very comic. It's not comic booky enough. Right. I feel like as much as I liked the bat flex suit and thought it was cool. It always looked a little too torn from the page to feel like he was actually walking around and moving in it. It was made and for photo shoots. That. Yeah. And so these yeah, photographs. Th- like, I think they have like the reverse effect where like Pattinson's looks better seeing it in motion than it does yeah. in still images. Totally was, like, I remember like when Snyder released that first shot of Affleck in the suit in BVS. Every- and it was I lost like my, my dreams came true. Yeah. And then like, I still like the, the Affleck suit. I think that like, it's probably my second favorite to this. Um, but seeing it in motion, it didn't have, I didn't like it as much as I thought I would. Like it looked very clunky and like quite immobile. Absolutely. And I, I mentioned this on the uh, critically acclaimed Comics Collective podcast, but I've always been a short-eared guy when it comes to cowls. 
this movie convinced me that long ears might be the way to go. Like I remember seeing that reveal for the first time and not loving the cowl because the the ears, at least in the photographs, look like little two antennas. But the way that it's shot, I mean, just look at my background here. Like I love the way how it strikes when it comes to a silhouette. Like it looks like. It looks tactile, but it also looks like it comes from a comic booky world. And it almost, and I don't know, maybe I'm just uh, reaching here, but it looked more cloth-based in the film than I was mm. expecting. Mm -hmm. Like, there's obviously, like, armor paneling and, like, the shoulder pauldrons, like, all this stuff. But there was a lot of cloth yeah. in between those armor paneling. And I wasn't expecting that, and I really appreciated that. It is. And, like, the way it mixes, like, textures reminded me a lot of, like, Lee Bermejo's Batman. Totally agree. In the way that he has, like, that really, like, almost, like, metallic and tactile centerpiece. But yet, like, the pants are just, like, tactical, like, yeah. military pants. And it's the same thing in this kind of movie. I also like, it, like that the armor served a purpose in this movie. Like, sure. I, well, yeah. I didn't think oh, I would man. like seeing Batman absorb machine gun fire like it was oh. nothing but when he walked through and just demolished everyone as like they brought the weapons of mankind against him and he was like nope i'm a fucking symbol i was like it's like nope i'm on. built by morrison i'm bat god in this on the, yeah. subject, hallway. on the subject of symbols can i just say i'm so glad that the chess symbol wasn't made from the gun that killed his parents i don't Yet. think they ever said <laughs> whether it was no, or people kind of just ran with it because of like the way it looked and then because of that kevin smith comic from 20 years ago that right. suddenly became a thing people talked about mm -hmm. but like i had faith in like reeves's understanding of batman i thought that'd be a bit too on the nose but like him using it as basically his batarang was was really I, cool I, and i love the sound it makes when he chink, puts it back in to the chest but like you're saying like that whole scene where he is just being just beset upon by gunfire and he's just like walking through it i have i don't remember the last time that i was like physically bouncing up and down in my theater seat because it was incredible and i'm sure we all know now like it was done practically like mm -hmm. the gun flares lighting up the uh lighting up the hallway was all done practically and i it's it's a level of filmmaking that we don't see often enough anymore like they could have very easily just like CGI'd in all of that stuff, but it shows like when you do practical effects, practical effects look really good. Like yeah. it's a lesson that I don't think people talk about enough anymore. I I also like how sparing and intentional the action in these movies feel. Yeah. Because like while I love action movies, I drag my poor wife along to all of these superhero movies and she's not an action person. So like we get to the last third of a, a Marvel movie and she just checks out. She's like, and the movie's over for me. I'll see you at the credits. And these were stylish enough, intentional enough and only showed up when they needed to be that they were engaging for her as well. You know, I felt like they were a treat instead of a crutch in this movie. Yeah. yeah. I'd agree. And if I can just kind of circle back to the talking about the chess symbol as well, there's Do something it. specific because I feel like I'm just going to be the guy that talks about themes <laughs> constantly. I love the, the the very end of the movie after like, the you know, there's the great moment where Batman takes the adrenaline shot. He wails on like the Riddler incel guy. And then when they unmask him, they ask him who he is. He says, I'm vengeance. And that like, makes Bruce like freak the fuck out and he realizes that like 
I've been doing everything wrong. And then like, he does this like grand heroic gesture where he like, he sees like the electrical wire above, like where it's flooding and he goes and cuts it. I love the idea of him like using his literal, like grabbing where his heart is and using that to be like what saves the day. It reminds me of like at the end of Zero Year, where he literally uses his his beating heart to like repower the city. And like, I know you can't do that on screen because it's a very silly and like kind of corny way of like wrapping that story up. I love it. I'm a sucker for grand emotional gestures. My favorite Nolan movie is Interstellar because of the third act. Me too, baby. <laughs> this is why we're the same person. It is. That's what Earth I'm one, saying. Earth, two. Earth one and Earth I've been two. saying this like, whole time. I've cracked this wide open. Like when most people like, I like Instella up until Matthew McConaughey starts talking about how he loves the eighth dimension. No, like, that's the that's best part. That's when the movie's the best. <laughs> that, that's what sold though. That's what yes. set it apart from everything else Nolan's ever done is he put emotion into one of these movies. In the one movie where you don't expect emotion in the sterile space movie. It's oh, it's so good. It's so anyway. good. Not to talk about Interstellar. Great movie. No, but, Go but watch I, it. I think you're absolutely right. Like, the... like Bruce making this like giant heroic gesture using like the literal like both like the heart of the bat suit, but also yeah. like where his heart is is like to make this heroic gesture, and then that coupled with like the flare sequence at the end. Ooh, chills. Ah, uh, it's it that is like also they they had been perfect. teasing it because that's been his little like riot baton thing that he had been whacking people with earlier in the film, and then for it to now not. Again, it has a greater effect. It has a greater effect with a non-violent purpose than it does. Exactly, and that's it's genius. Bruce, Bruce's whole journey in a nutshell. Like he learns very much, as we said, like in New Frontier. Like he didn't set out to scare children, and the fact that his whole the through line of him and the mayor's kid was followed up on was brilliant. And I think the usage of that really does a great job of juxtaposing him with the Riddler, who we need to talk about. I was going to say, is, should we talk about the Riddler? We we should, because Paul Dano was incredible. Honestly, Troy Oboyo from YouTube, I knew knocked you were gonna... my, he knocked my fucking <laughs> socks off. I was like, he shaved the mustache for it. I was glad. I was like, it's, funny because, like, it's funny because obviously like, there's the scene with the Riddler uh, and Bruce in Arkham, oh. where basically... <laughs> <laughs> where Riddler basically like reveals his like massive like hatred against Bruce Wayne <clears throat> and it was such a Troy moment because you realize the Riddler's he entire motivation is just billionaires it's just billionaires <laughs> I was like damn this guy he's got some great Spider-Man takes but I did not know he could cripple a city he's got with 500 nothing followers he, yo, when they said 500 followers, real edge types, I was like, it's he's just like me for real. I can't believe Matt Reeves made Riddler a Twitch streamer. He he made he made Riddler a Twitch streamer, an incel gamer. He made him a, a Twitch streamer. Yes, you're right. Anyway, so like, but the thing about the thing that was unintentionally funny about the 500 followers thing because. That got a lot of laughs in my theater. I was like, oh yeah, that's funny. I have more followers than the Riddler. That's great. But also it was like, oh, but these are like dedicated followers that will do exactly what you say, like shoot up a public building. Like it was terrifying. It was almost like without like, delving like super political it was almost like there was like a QAnon like kind of vibe with the Riddler and his followers Mm -hmm. I also think that like the scene uh, where he's like thanking his viewers (laughs) reminded me of the bit in Bo Burnham's inside where he's holding the knife and doing like the YouTuber outro yeah and that just brought me a lot of joy 
and any time that we can bring Bo Burnham's inside is just yeah, it's perfect. Play him Listen, in a Batman movie. Let him make him the Riddler even again. Make <laughs> yeah, him the Riddler just... again. Make him hush. Make Thomas Elliot's coming. We know that he's there. Yo, the blending of Hush's character and the Riddler's character, though, to make this was brilliant for me. Yeah, yeah. because I think and now there are elements. Yeah, well, there are elements of Hush captured me when i read that the first time the first right. half of hush i really liked it just i've read it like 10 times and i don't know how it ends couldn't tell you right now gun to my head <laughs> how hush ends if i once got in it if you stop reading hush with the jason todd reveal it's a really good story no listen i had forgotten <laughs> i got into an arg heated argument with someone else i was like i read comic books you prick i know He's fucking Jason Todd. And they were like, <laughs> I'm going to look it up right now. And they looked it up and oh. I was like, well, that's worse. Well, I no, was like, the thing is, though, that was going to be the original reveal. And then it got leaked. And so Loeb had to, like, rewrite it and make Thomas Elliot. Oh, push. I thought you were talking about the movie. I was like, what? No, like, in the comic push originally, like, Jason yeah. was going to be Hush. Which, which is, is why, better. Like, a year later, they do Under the Hood, which is mm. just the same story but the exact same better story. and doesn't have jeff Loeb's name on it so i will make videos about it exactly and it has one of the best batman rogues black mask who's incredible black mask is incredible He's and great. also incredible in birds of prey played by ewan mcgregor i was gonna say who is like, also obi-wan kenobi it all it rhymes who is also owen likes comics i'm fucking obi-wan kenobi you are <laughs> he's earth four he's earth four um owen. but yeah no paul dano is fantastic i'm a huge fan of paul dano i've been a huge fan of paul dano since looper same um i've actually been a fan of like, his since girl next door which was think, which is an underrated film i think like, i got the magic of him in okja i watched that and i was like oh yeah nice. you're gonna you're gonna be the riddler yeah like, I, I remember seeing him in looper and then obviously like his incredible performance in prisoners yeah it's like this guy's am-, and like there will be blood as well like he's an amazing actor and like he's someone that like he just like I kept seeing like memes on Twitter. It's like he just looks like a guy that would tell riddles. Yeah. <laughs> but it's funny well, because it's... like it's such an unriddler performance. Like he's yes. just playing the Zodiac killer. He's literally playing like a modern like social media jigsaw. And I kind of but yet it's the so way... true to the like if you boil the riddler down to like the essential elements, nothing goes against the character. It's just kind of recontextualized. Like it's almost in a way, and I don't want to make this comparison because it's such a ballsy claim, but in the way that Reeves and Dano like break the Riddler down and reconstruct him using like modern real world serial killer influences is kind of the same in what Nolan and Ledger do to the Joker in the Dark Knight. Totally agree. It, it's and I'm not saying, I'm not saying like it's on the same level, though I think that Dano gives an incredible performance. But in the way they like rebuild the character, in a way that like is so different from anything we've seen before, but still so clearly feels like the Riddler slash you know the Joker. Like I think it's a very similar approach. And I think you know, I think it's with it's totally within Paul Dano's wheelhouse to play like classic Riddler. Like we, oh, that man would rock a bowl hat. Absolutely, he would, and he was. Unlike a lot of, like, I feel like a lot of castings for superhero movies now are just like, okay, but just wait. Like, remember Heath Ledger? Everybody hated Heath Ledger. But this mm. was, like, one of the first times where everybody was like, no, yeah, I get it, for sure. Yeah, let's I do it. I feel for everyone that when Colin Fowle got cast was, like, really excited for Sexy Penguin. About Daddy mm. Penguin. I'm so got... happy we got ugly, just scum underneath the bridge Penguin. Yeah. I love him. And then we got, like, Agreed. Richard 
uh, Richard Jewell meets like Joe Pesci penguin. Yes. Hey, sweetheart. Like, Take it easy, sweetheart. When he when he cool. hits when he hits him with like, oh, maybe you should ask his wife. Oh, too soon. <laughs> like too I'm soon. like, dude, he's such, like, he's an such an asshole, a and I love it. But yeah, with, when it comes to Riddler, like like you said, he is not what I think anyone expected for the Riddler. Because when he was cast, everyone was like, okay, yeah, Paul Dano can play classic Riddler. Let's do this. <laughs> and then they released that first trailer that showed him in full-on Zodiac Riddler. I was entranced. Like, what is the Zodiac killer if not like a real-life equivalent to the Riddler? Yeah. Absolutely. Not to like trivialize like an actual serial killer who committed like actual atrocities. But if you were looking like in the same way that like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker is borrowing so much from like the aesthetic of John Wayne Gacy, like that is such a one-to-one comparison to make in terms of like taking a fictional character that has so much similarity with real life historical figures. Yeah. And I, the, the, the scene of course that I'm, sure everyone's been going gaga over is the police station scene the scene Mm. between the glass the visitation i i don't want to call it the interrogation scene because it's not an interrogation scene it's it's uh, the visitation i loved alex from high top films is reading of it where we basically it's like the glass in between is bruce looking in a mirror oh i love that like that's like yeah well, and it feeds into that whole later on thing when he pulls mm. off the mask of the guy who he saw at the funeral and he's just like, yeah, I'm vengeance. Like, it's him looking, they come from similar backgrounds with them both being orphans. Well, that's it. Like, both... if Bruce wasn't a Wayne, he could have been the Riddler. Easily. Easily. Like, there's probably a really great commentary to do there on, like, privilege. Absolutely. Guys, and how feels... someone's, like, background affects them in that way. It feels so good to have a Batman movie with themes that yeah. can be tracked through uh, a movie that have about, structures. What about the themes of like Batman's cool, look at him shoot a guy? I mean, that is also important, Touché. but- Which is like, I mean, that's not a Snyder dig, that's also a Burton dig. Yes. And kind of a Nolan dig at times. A little bit. Not Schumacher dig though, Joel, you're all right. Joel, here's my hot take. Joel Schumacher made Batman movies that made me fall in love with Batman and I'll defend them forever. I watched those as a young boy and I went, I love this garish city. I love yeah. everything that's happening. Still one of I the love... best designed ba- Gotham cities that I've ever seen. Oh, hell yeah. I just love the bit in Batman Forever where they're in the vault and the security guard's like, it's boiling acid. Well, Top I, five Batman lines ever. I will always credit Joe Schumacher with getting me to fall in love with the character of Robin with his uh, laundry kung fu. That's always <laughs> been a mainstay for me. And if they don't have a laundry kung fu scene in the next Batman film... What are we doing here? Why yeah, even bring it? That is what this movie's missing. Laundry Kung Fu. Um, but yeah, no, Dano is incredible. And like, he plays so many different, like him in the mask versus him not in the mask. It's yeah. such a different performance. And it's so cool. And like, I guess we should talk about the one like really divisive thing in this movie, which is Paul Dano's friend that he meets in Arkham. Hmm. Yeah, I guess we could talk about that. I, I do guess want we to should, mention we should at before, least mention it before we go there. Um, I really appreciated the fact that the uh, the fake out of him knowing Bruce's identity. Oh, that was handled so I thought it was so well done. Like that had me fooled. Because again, I... like in Hush, he figures mm. out 
Batman's identity. And that's, well, that's like the whole, whole point thing. of the Riddler's arc in Hush. It's like he's cracked the greatest riddle, but he can't tell anyone it because it'll ruin it. Yeah. And so the idea that, okay, we're going to go into this with the villain already knowing who Batman is, and then it turning it on its head to be like, no, you and I have been waging a war on Bruce Wayne. He's the only one who got away. But in a way, and again, I'm I'm going back to the theme stuff, with how self-destructive Batman is at this point in his career, Bruce kind of is waging a war on himself. You're wrong. There's the, you know, there's the line at the, the opening scene with Alfred where he's like, you know, I don't care what happens to me. That Batman was on a path to die in the street. Easily. So Very like, easily. There, is, there, is, there is some kind of truth to that. Not in the context Riddler means, but I think like that is all part of Bruce's self-discovery. What do you think, Dallas? Well, I honestly, I like this as the sort of nail in the coffin of Batman's self-centered streak in this so like I feel like this is the moment where the I am vengeance from the incel is that's the end of Batman as fear sentence yeah nice um, <laughs> but the incel telling Batman like I am vengeance is the end of Batman wanting to strictly be fear I think mm-hmm. the end of Batman wanting to be strictly self-centered is realizing that he could have stopped all this if he didn't just immediately care about himself like all of like if he takes his hubris out of the equation Mm -hmm. the the riddle fades away and he he gets tunnel vision when he starts thinking he's gotten caught and his war on crime is going to end his stint as the batman's about to end and it it's a fascinating take on bruce wayne and batman to be like he's smart enough to figure this out but he can't get past himself to figure it out it is, and it's such a compelling performance by Pattinson. He sells like every aspect of that characterization brilliantly, and it's like it's, there's so many like little things, like the the ending montage where like Batman's helping the people out of the um, like the stadium, is like maybe mm-hmm. my favorite Batman moment on screen, and like the juxtaposition of where like he's he's carrying the girl to the paramedics and she doesn't want to let go of him, counter to the train scene at the beginning where Bruce like goes to help the guy up who is being attacked by the gang and he doesn't want to go anywhere near him. Like, Why? Well, I, I feel like so this is powerful. The, this is the first Batman movie. I feel like Bruce has a distinct arc away from the dark Batman. I feel yeah. like, I feel like Bruce Wayne was pretty static in the Nolan movies. And I liked that version. I liked who he was, but this movie taking. Well, well, those movies are about like him becoming a myth. It's the idea of Batman becoming a legend. Mm-hmm. And like, I think this movie deals with that a little bit as well, like being a larger than life figure, but it's very much centered around Bruce. Like he, like Pattinson's Bruce Wayne doesn't have his shit together in the way that Bale's does. So true. Bale falls apart, especially in Rises. But when he comes back to Gotham and begins, he is like a fully formed, ready to go Batman. Whereas like Pattinson, Pattinson probably spent more collective time as Batman by the time this movie starts than Bale had spent in the entire Nolan trilogy because he, you know, takes his eight-year sabbatical. Right. Well, and, and my my whole thing with Bale's Batman, because I, I mean, those were the films that were, you know, the Batman films Yeah, when I, was I don't want it to up. sound like we're, like, dismissing those no, movies. No, for sure. But I've, they're, my, films. I've always, they're my touch point. I love them. Yeah, but I've always seen the the Christian Bale films as Bruce Wayne films and that Batman was a suit that he put on 
because this was Bruce mm. Wayne's story. Where in this, I feel like Batman and Bruce Wayne were one in the same, if not, I as we like mentioned earlier, this is a story forces. about Bruce Wayne finding the Bruce Wayne in himself. Totally. Whereas like the Nolan movies, especially Begins, is about Bruce Wayne discovering Batman. It's like the Love opposite that. way of handling that arc. And I find it really interesting how both can be so effective whilst doing like very polarizing and different things. Yeah. But yeah, let's let's talk about let's talk about the Joker. Let's talk about our boy Joe Joseph Kerr. Yeah, let's talk about I let's talk about the Joker. With the announcement that we're not going forward with the GCPD spinoff, but with an Arkham Asylum. I know. I love Gotham Central. I was Same. excited about that. I love Jeffrey Wright. I thought he could carry that really well. But the idea of a haunted house Arkham Asylum puts that little tidbit into perspective for me because you need to have a full Arkham Asylum to have that spinoff film. And if that's the role the Joker is going to play, I'm okay with that. Especially. I don't, I don't think they're going to make a mistake of putting, making their second movie, a Joker movie and being forever compared to the dark Knight. Well, yeah. You're not, kind of, that was kind of my worry at the time was like, there's already like going to be such comparisons between this and the Nolan films. Of course. So then doing a, the doing Joker I was I I feel like Matt Reeves is cognizant enough to know that doing that would be a fool's errand, well, and I think you, having Joker the be interview Reeves did recently. Yes, and I was just going to bring that up because, like, I feel I feel like Joker being you know kind of the mainstay of a HBO Max series, and we can keep him at arm's length mm. from Batman, is the perfect way to do this so that we can have the films be time to shine for other villains that we maybe haven't seen yet. And that interview that he did where he mentioned that there was originally a scene earlier in the film where he is there and they do a very Hannibal Lecter style, like I'm coming to you for it's, help. From what, from how Reeves described it, it reminds me of the opening scene from Killing Joe. Yes, absolutely. And the fact that this, he took that out. I kind of wish he had just taken both of them out if he was I'd, I'd love to see that one. scene when they release it though but it really fascinating to see it but i do the way that he described it sold me on it where it's yeah. this idea that the reason he put it in there is to make selena's point in the very next scene where she says you know the city isn't going to get better like it's only going yeah. to get worse and it almost makes that scene in retrospect more important because we yeah. know that there's crazy shit coming and batman is probably not prepared for it but he has to try anyway and that is the overarching deal with him is that he is not going to make change by being this you know vicious guy who beats people up in alleyways he has to incite change by confronting the worst that gotham has to throw at him definitely and i think like for me like you know i heard that barry keown was playing joker and he had this kind of brief cameo in the movie so it didn't take me by surprise um but i can understand why people find the execution of it jarring i think that like i'm more on board with the idea of like telling a story like you know something like tomkins war of jokes and riddles as a hbo series about arkham yes. more so than like the next movie Give me I, I also think like riddles. thematically it works because like the riddler thinks batman is like the yin to his yang and yet, you know, the Joker is everything that Batman isn't. They're the antithesis of each other. So the Riddler finding that companionship in everything Batman isn't after Batman rejects him in the Joker is, is quite an interesting place to take that character thematically. 
I think that like the thing that Reed said that kind of really like restored a bit of faith and like calmed my nerves a bit where it's like I don't have plans for the Joker for the next movie I more so just wanted to establish that like this is a lived in world where like you take the wrong turn in Gotham you open the wrong door you could find any number of characters like there's a Joker out there there is a there could be a Rachel Ghoul out there there could be a Bane out there you know right. this isn't a world that's kind of building with Batman we are being dropped into a, like a fully formed universe and I think that like execution aside, it does a good job of demonstrating that like this is already a world where these characters can exist. Which I think is the right decision, honestly, especially with this movie ending on a sort of no man's land nightfall sort of setup with we're going to have villains carving up this city. It makes sense to me then to show that Batman has already seen some supervillains. Like the Riddler is not, we haven't seen everybody. And I kind of like that the Joker opens up that door to the next movie doesn't have to carry the weight of introducing us to all of these villains. We can work off the assumption that they exist and Batman knows them. Absolutely. It's it's a very like comic booky way and comic book cartoon way of being like, yeah, there is a world out there besides just these two guys beating each up beating each other up. Like I like the idea that, especially if we're going to be getting that Arkham Asylum series, you're going to need people to populate those cells. Like we mm -hmm. saw all of these cells here. I'm hoping for some Hugo Strange Monster Men nonsense because I love that Matt Wagner story. But I, I think that there is a there is room to say yes. We have this in isolation. In my perfect world, we never see them interact maybe once. But, like, you know at some point it's going to happen. But being able to say, okay, we hear you. We know that we don't want the Joker to just suddenly be the villain of the Batman 2 or even 3. Like, if it was me, it's the Batman. We have Batman 2 being, we'll talk about it in a little bit. And then Batman 3 is Court of Owls because that's, like, the big culmination <laughs> of everything. And yeah. there's no room there for Joker. And I'm totally okay if they just well, decide, it's, you know it's, what? It's not. If you get caught by Batman, you get thrown to the HBO show. That's what happens. I mean, it's not like we're in a situation where we're starving for Joker content either. True. Like, we've had a good amount of Joker over the last couple of years. Almost too much. Yeah. Definitely too much. Yeah, three Jokers was a step too far. You're right. Just one um, step too far, though. Two jokers. Say, like, I want to see Reeves deal with Mr. Freeze. I want to see Court of Owls. I want to see Clayface. Like, not against the idea of Reeves doing Hush, because, because as much as I don't really care for the Hush comic, I think Reeves could do something interesting with that. Yeah, I want to see Clayface. I want to see so many characters. I, Killer Moth, man. I would Moth, really like man. to see Kite Man. It's Hell time. yeah. Give me the ballad of Kite Man. Get me Chuck Brown and let him just sail kites like i hell yeah like if honestly if we don't open up batman 2 with an extended kite chase scene then we're leaving money on the table do mm. you want batman 2 to pick up right after this with the no. city flooded or do you want it a while down the road i would and obviously we'll we'll get into big big time sequel stuff in a little bit but like i I think a time skip is necessary. I think you give it even at the soonest six months. Cause like 
at that point, there's been lawlessness. You can have people who have installed themselves in different parts of the city. Some of the city can remain flooded. I mean, one of the coolest parts about Arkham City was like going and trying to sail over that section of Amusement Mile that was just completely flooded. Like, it's... I think there is... The fact that they chose to start this version of Batman two years in should be telling that time is not a huge factor for this series, that they can play around with it, especially if we do want to introduce uh, a Robin, hopefully in the next movie. I I would feel much better having a Bruce Wayne who's maybe in year three, if not year four, dealing with Robin than somebody who is essentially like trying to get your cat to watch your dog. Like, I don't, I don't believe that a five-year-old is capable of babysitting a three-year-old. And that's how I think if we picked it up right away and gave him a Robin, it would kind of be. Also, I will say, if we're getting Robin, does that mean we're also going to get Two-Face? Because I would like to see Reeves do Two-Face. Because like, do I, know, I... I know Two-Face is a big part of the Nolan films, but he's like he doesn't get his movie. Right. And I think like Reeves doing, especially with like, and I know it was covered in the dark, like the duality of like Harvey and Bruce kind of being the same character. Yeah. Well, like Reeves I would, would eat that up. I would love a Harvey before two. Like if Harvey Dent is a main character of the second movie and doesn't become Two Face until a third movie, mm-hmm. I think that would be great. We, yeah, like you could do like an Earth One style thing where like now like yeah. Batman has become this symbol of hope and like Bella Ray the new mayor. You could see like Harvey be the new DA and like those three be like the shining figures, like them and Gordon. Especially since like... they, they killed the DA in this movie. So like mm. spoilers. But uh yeah, spoilers they... like an hour and a half <laughs> into this spoiler discussion. They they killed the DA, which brings that in. We could very much see an Earth One Volume Two slash Dark Victory story, which I would be all for. And even though I think Again, there is going to be that obvious, like, oh, you're just bringing back Two-Face. I I think it's worth it to see, like, a comic book style Two-Face. And if they Two-Face, want... is, Two-Face rules. He's rules. I want he Two-Face. Rules. There's nothing wrong with bringing in Two-Face. Two-Face is You can great. also mix in some all-star Batman in that if you really want Make to. Make Robin like, eat rats. Not, 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 not that all-star <laughs> Listen, Batman, guys. Not that one. Verbally, Good all-star Batman. Green Lantern's in the movie, and Bruce paints the entire room yellow and then beats the crap out of uh, it. So we take the 10-year-old, we verbally abuse him. And then Black and Canary then we... shows up in like a bar and like there's all these guys like trying to hit on her and then she like beats them all up and the Joker shows up and he's got a dragon tattoo and a I, Nazi oh, henchwoman. I shouldn't have said it. Writes it writes itself. It writes itself. It's right And there. at every point, bat- that's what the movie's got. So you got this one's the Batman. The next one's the goddamn Batman. God. Listeners, you I just want you to be it. very clear. I want to be very clear on this because my words have now been twisted for the last however long this bit has gone on. There is a good all-star Batman written by Scott Snyder. Written by Frank Miller and drawn by Jim Lee. It's a classic. It's so superhero. It's the greatest all-star comic. Listeners, I've never been actually bullied on my podcast until today, and I feel like this is my villain origin story. So anyway, how I become the highwayman. In Two Bat, Two Men, we open on Robin eating rats in the basement. Batman turns to the screen, says I'm the goddamn Batman. Roll credits. It's a 30-second movie. 
<laughs> the end credit scene is two hours and 10 minutes long. <laughs> we really play with the form. We then adapt Frank Miller's The Dark Knight Strikes Again. We have jumped forward that many oh, years. When, when does he throw uh, Dick Grayson's head into a volcano? Oh, 10 minutes in. We hate, right. we hate Robin. We're yeah, going to we move on. on so we let's, we, we haven't talked about him yet. Uh, Jeffrey Wright's Jim Gordon. <gasps> Just real quick. We haven't mentioned Just, him. I want him to call me dude and or man. I, w- I just want him to call me man. Cause it's like, that's, that is the, and I'm just, I'm just going to say, you know, we're, we've, we've made some platitudes here. This is the best Jim Gordon for me. Mm. Like Gary Oldman's iconic, of course, but I felt the, world weariness of this jim gordon i felt his unease in trying to you know trust this guy he's he's the guy who brings who brings the friend to the party who's like oh man you know he you know he fucking sits on the corner and beats up homeless people right he's, he's like, a good oh, dude cool. i swear oh, trust cool. me he's cool he's so cool man look you just gotta here, get man. to know him jeffrey wright had very big my dog doesn't bite energy he's nice <laughs> he's nice and they're like he's beating up other cops like he doesn't bite Okay, listen, give him a pet. He likes also, it. Sorry, and then the dog gets on hind legs and punches the owner. And it goes, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> that's just reminded me of one of my other favorite lines in the movie is when Batman's in the Gotham uh, GCPD precinct and the sleazy like captain guy is like, I've got you on charge for assaulting an officer. Batman's sorry, like, I'm going to need you to do the voice. I'm going to need you to do the voice. I've got you on <laughs> assaulting an officer. Uh, you got me. I know, because now I forgot the line. Oh, it's so Why? You have to charge me for listen, three. Like, listen, ugh. the commissioner and the chief of police had the two best voices in this movie. Oh, next the commissioner's voice is beautiful. Get him out of here. you're killing me. Jim, I'm going to need you to talk to me on this, the day of Batman's wedding. <laughs> no, but seriously, though, I love that scene. I'm not even talking I... about voices when Jeffrey Wright has like, it's the, it's the, living embodiment of jazz it's beautiful it's it's he improvises this whole way through it's like jazz he was the casting i was the most excited for yeah i I think season one of westworld is probably my favorite season of television of all time love it to death and so i was like he he gets to be jim gordon like this couldn't go better for me it was incredible and he's also the only actor to play both jim gordon and batman within a year of each other and the watcher and the watcher he's he's been crushing it he's been crushing it on the voice acting game but... i think like i think for me i think gary oldman is still my personal favorite jim gordon totally but i think it. this movie has like the best dynamic between batman and gordon the best dynamic duo well i love making them the buddy detectives from seven right literally like, yes we make Absolutely. them jim gordon we make them jim gordon nice we make them morgan <laughs> freeman and brad pitt and we watch them play out seven, right? Yeah. But it it's not in a stupid way like Joker is to Taxi Driver. I felt like I was like, oh, this is loving homage and not just crappy. Oh, you mean how Joker is to the King of Comedy, which is that movie, but with Joker. Exactly. And not as good. It's brutal. And with a healthy amount of Robert De Niro in both. But yeah, just enough. I, I think Jim Gordon is one of the standouts for this, yeah. one of the best performances in the film. Like, I love the moment where they both roll up to the bat signal. They're like, I thought this was you. I thought it was you. 
it's it's very much i thought she was with you energy but done way better yeah and listen jim gordon's toyota camry is the all-star of this movie we have a batmobile and a bulletproof camry that is slander because that is absolutely a toyota corolla every asian american knows that car it is 100 a toyota corolla my first car i picked that out from a lineup but i <laughs> It just really sells how beat down and average this guy is. And I, lo- I love the moment where he's like, just give me the room. They all go out. And he's trying to like postulate to him while being like, we he punches the door. You. Yeah. <laughs> you could have pulled your punch. I did. I did. Like, I, and that's Batman and Gordon. Like, I, I want an entire, like, it makes me sad because we're not going to get that GCPD story. But hopefully, we will get more Gordon in this Arkham Asylum story kind of like everyone was like, Oh yeah, we're getting a new, uh, new Joker book, but it's actually a James Gordon comic. I would very much like it to be, yeah, this is an Arkham Asylum story. Totally. But it just be a James, James Gordon series. You know what? Two things there. I wouldn't be against bringing James Gordon Jr. In. I wouldn't be against them doing like a black mirror type story. You're speaking to the, you're going to like the second idea. You're going to like the second idea. Just do a super heavy movie with Jeffrey Wright. If we were going to do a super heavy, I would want Jeffrey Wright as Jim Gordon. Imagine. Give that to me. Put him in the Bat Bunny robo suit. Give him (laughs) the slick black Batman costume. Listen, if I'm he shakes there. his hair into a mohawk, it's the, supposed to be it. a high end type, but it's really just a mohawk. Just yeah. a mohawk. I'm there. And you know what it makes me really excited about? If we ever if they ever broach the subject of like a like a a Barbara Gordon. Like I know we're getting a backroll, and I think it's kind of weird that they are still placing Batgirl firmly in the DCEU. Just let it die. Just let it die. When we've got a perfectly good Jeffrey Wright right here. He's a he's gonna be your Jim Gordon. Um, but I I just thought he was inspired. And I love that that see that uh the GCPD escape scene. Just because we don't see Batman just full on sprinting down a hallway often enough. Like that brought me back to playing those Arkham games where it's just like, okay, you got to run and then you got to slide underneath this spot because there's debris here. Like, (laughs) yes. Like I am ready for the, the digital release of this so that people can just put that up. I loved that scene and I love his little flying squirrel suit when he gets to the top of the building and he like puts it out and he just, uh, sails off and, I have not laughed in a Batman movie. Like when he sees the bus, he's like, all right, I'm going to land it. And he jets, he jets out his parachute. The parachute catches on the bridge and he just just slapsticks his way. I let out a belly laugh. I was the only person who laughed and it was incredible. I loved seeing it. It was such like an Earth One moment where like the opening scene of the first volume where he's chasing the guy over the rooftop. Yes. And he just like, he doesn't make the jump and he just <laughs> falls and lands in like a pile of trash. And, and we I just love that it shows out. that like 
I should have said something's definitely bleeding. Stop. That's, that's uh, what was missing here. Oh, one scene that I do want to make sure we touch on just briefly too is the car chase. Talked about the penguin earlier. The noise the Batmobile makes. This is my Batmobile. Screech. That screech. I, I can't describe the things it does to me. What Dallas talked about, like what Catwoman does to him, <laughs> the noise of the Batmobile does to me. It's 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 incredible. It it takes all of the things that everyone talks about with a tumbler, like oh, it's tactical and you can you know drive it through you know walls and buildings, but makes it an actual car. Hey, like, I like the tumbler. Tumblr's great, but having this be a muscle car speaks to me on a spiritual level and seeing him just gun this thing down a freeway is that incredible. That was an incredible sequence as well. Listen, if I had that much money, I absolutely would drive a black 1966 Corvette Stingray around in my day. (laughs) And I would absolutely have a muscle car at night that I have turned into a fucking tank. I would be right there in my it's Dodge Charger. It also has like a jet engine. Yeah. Oh, so that, the blue like, flame just it does was so hot. for me. That car was like straight out of Fast and Furious. I thought Batman was going to hit the nose. Yes, it was. It's because it's all about family. It's all about family. It is about family. It's about family. This is, this, this is secretly, this is secretly. It's fast about power. Time. We stay hungry. We, we devour. <laughs> Put in the work. Put in the hours. Hours. I'm really excited. What's ours? I'm really excited for the Black Adam post credit scene where he does that entire rap in the Black Adam suit. No, but only if he At replaces the, in the all Rock the words Eternity. with only if he <laughs> only if he replaces all the words with just him saying the hierarchy of power in the DC universe is about to change. <laughs> it's about tribe. It's about hierarchy of power. It made me really sad to hear that the uh, the film got delayed because I'm like, we gotta fucking hear him say that one more goddamn time. I just like <laughs> I'm starting to believe this Flash movie isn't real. They've been telling me this movie's coming out for nearly a decade. Someone pointed out that it is hitting new mutants levels of getting delayed, and it made a movie me I still don't believe is real, mind you. I've seen it. It's a movie. So there's two things I don't believe in. One of them is Doomsday Clock being a real comic. It is a real <laughs> comic. No, not to me. It's not. It's a good comic. When they come for Miracle Man, Owen (laughs) Owen will forgive Doomsday Clock (laughs) when Miracle Man gets looped in. My feelings on Timeless has been made very clear on this podcast. On this podcast (laughs) specifically, in fact. I am going to sue Marvel and DC anytime they use any Honestly, of Alan Honestly, you you could be the owner of Miracle Man. We're not I sure. I mean, at this it could point, be who you. knows? Everyone else has been in Britain. I've we been are Miracle a big Man. announcement for the podcast. This this is the one. Yeah, for the 200th episode, Eric owns Miracle Man. <laughs> in a joint venture with Dallas and Owen. We've all pitched in. We all pitched in $7. Wait, does this we mean we're going to go to Miracle we're going to go to court with Todd McFarlane? Uh, no, we're going to beat him up in the alley out back. Oh, even better. And steal all of his toys. Yeah, Wait, he can carries Neil with him. be on our side? Can, can Neil be on our team? Uh, Neil will that. write about it. Neil yes, will write awesome. about it. I'll take that. I'd allow that. But yeah, so as, as we're wrapping up here, um, Owen, Dallas, maybe give some final thoughts on the film. If you have a personal rating for it and any uh, future things you'd like to see for the film, whether it's characters, storylines, whatever. Um, I can go first to allow you some time. Um, I love this film. For me, 
I have always championed Batman Begins as the best Batman film. The other Nolan films are great, but I feel like that film got for me what was so special about Batman. This stops it. I loved it. It was a perfect blend of Earth One, the Telltale Games, Arkham Origins, Dark Victory, like all the things that I really enjoy about Batman, I adore about this film. I also appreciate that the film goes full Final Fantasy VI World of Ruin and allows Gotham to be flooded by the Riddler. Uh, having a younger, more fallible Batman opens the door for stories to be told like that that we haven't really seen with Batman films before. And it gives the opportunity for Batman as well as the people of Gotham to kind of rise up out of it, even though the villain wins the hero learns something and he goes on his own personal hero's journey which was really cool i wish it was maybe maybe 15 to 20 minutes shorter but and that's just for my bladder just seeing it in in theaters i know when i eventually watch on hbo max that's not going to be a problem but i this is an easy easy top of the bill for me it's it's the best live action batman i cannot wait to see more of this i said earlier uh hold off i know the easy thing is to do court of owls next make court of owls the third film and i would honestly since we got the tease for it do an adaptation of batman venom for the next movie we haven't seen yeah, because Andy Serkis already did the Venom two movie. So yeah, it's like... exactly. Just Venom. Uh, like we have the tease of him using Venom. I think because that story is really good. Story about it's addiction. A, story. a story about withdrawals. A story about coming to terms with yourself and your limitations. I think would be a great way to also pair up with. Hey, you're also a dad now. Congratulations. Here's a Robin. But I think it's. The future is bright for Batman, and this is the most excited I've been about Batman in film for a very, very long time. Uh, Owen, yeah, throwing it to you. Yeah, I think that, like, above all else, the thing that really sticks with me about this movie is that I'm starting to see now that I have had an effect here, but not the one that I intended. God damn it. Vengeance won't change the past, mine or anyone else's. I have to become something more. People need hope to know that someone's out there for them. This city's angry and scarred, like me. Our scars can destroy us, even after the physical wounds have healed. But if we survive them, they can give us power to endure and the strength to fight. If that isn't the greatest like sentence and paragraph ever written and said in a Batman movie, I give up. Like, that is like, I love this movie the entirety of it like I was just like as someone that like adores all of the comics that Matt Reeves was pulling from that adores Matt Reeves's filmography that adores the movies that this is taking homage to like this was a slam dunk like nine ten out of ten movie for me and then that monologue hits at the end and it's like that is everything that Batman means to me encapsulated better than I could ever describe and like yeah, this is this movie is amazing. I have not felt, I've not felt like my love of a character has been translated onto the big screen in such a way since the first time I saw Spider Verse. Oh yeah, and it makes me so happy that we've got Matt Reeves doing these movies and having someone that like 
gets Batman on such a visceral level in the way that I get him. And I'm just so excited to see what's next. Literally, Matt Reeves could say he's making a movie with any like awful Batman character and I would be the opening day punching people. (laughs) Not for any reason, just because I'm excited. (laughs) Dallas? Um, Losing him was blue like I'd never known. Missing him was dark gray all alone. (laughs) Forgetting him was like trying know somebody you never met but loving batman was red loving him was red i think this movie is a perfect 10 out of 10 for me this was everything i needed it to be as a batman movie it has me excited in ways that i haven't been for a batman movie in a long time if the batman was the long halloween batman ego and batman year one i want Batman Dark Victory, Batman Nightfall, Batman No Man's Land coming into this next movie. I'm excited to see what Matt Reeves pulls off. I think the entire crew behind this, the entire cast behind this so clearly loves the character and wants all of us to feel that love too. I'm excited to see what films they pull from. If they pull from Chinatown, Zodiac, and Seven for this, I'm anxious to see what they pull from for the next film overall i'm just i'm thrilled i i'm gonna go see it a third time now because i'm excited enough after this conversation to go see it a third time yeah i couldn't agree more i love this movie it's incredible but that pretty much wraps up our spoiler filled review of the batman uh owen dallas it's always a pleasure to have you guys on here uh real quick if our listeners want to follow up with you if they want to follow your stuff uh where can they find you we'll go to owen first yeah thank you for having me on as a pleasure as always chatting with you eric on the geek explain podcast and dallas it's also great chatting to my american variant as well <laughs> love to see so it common um yeah thank you for having me on this was great uh head on over to youtube.com slash owen likes comics for more uh, of me rambling about comic books especially batman comics i recently released a video looking at all of the different comic books that inspired this movie looking at the long halloween year one ego earth one the dark victory uh zero year you name it we looked at it um loads of videos like that check them out follow me on twitter at owen likes comics and yeah, thank you. Keep watching the Geek Explained podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, like you said, that was uh, Matt Draper. Uh, I am <laughs> Dallas. Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Dallas underscore comics. I'm one of the co-hosts of the Comics Collective where we talk about comic books every week. We just did an episode on the Fantastic Four, which is notably different from the Batman, but <laughs> I do love them the same. And yeah, keep listening to Geeksplain. This is probably my favorite podcast to listen to during the week. So you're in a good place if you're listening to this now. You heard it here first. Geeksplain is your podcast's favorite podcast. But it's always a pleasure to have you guys on. I love chatting you guys up about this. Go see the Batman. Go see it again. Go see it four more times. But uh, that is going to do it for the review. Stay tuned. Bat March rolls on. 
Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown for the week of March 16th, 2022. This is the segment of the podcast where I chat you up about all the comics you should be checking out this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop and comiXology or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geek Explained Pick of the Week of last week. And for me, even though there were a bunch of comics, a bunch of good comics out last week, it was only ever going to be one thing. Superman, Son of Kal-El, number nine, written by Tom Taylor with art by Bruno Redondo. This book had my heart. Uh, You put Superman, you put Nightwing together, it's always going to be magic. And the added complexity of the John Kent and Dick Grayson relationship really made this two-parter sing. Uh, I absolutely loved it, loved every single second, and I hope that this isn't the last time the two of them team up. But absolutely loved that book, but that's last week's books. This week we've... Wait, one, two, three, four... We only have five books this week. We only have five books this week. My wallet is going to be so happy with me. Oh, man. We haven't had a single digit list in a long time. So let's just go ahead and dive into this. I'll be telling you about the title, creative team. I'll be telling you about the synopsis for each book of, with, of course, my synopsis voices. Let's dive into this. First off, Green Lantern number 12 is written by Jeffrey Thorne with art by Tom Rainey. And this is the final issue of this series of Green Lantern. I was not expecting this, but at the same time, I was kind of expecting this. Uh, Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. As the dust settles after the battle with the Anti-Guardian, Jon Stewart, Joe Mullane, and the rest of the Corps pick up the pieces and adjust to their new status quo. The day might be saved, but there's still plenty of work to be done. Everything you know about Green Lanterns is about to change. So yeah, final issue, I'm, you know... The the book was a mixed bag. I loved everything about the Joe Mullane mystery. Uh, I will say I correctly predicted this book would happen way back in our uh, Rebuilding the DC Universe uh, pitch with Malcolm Russell Nelson. Go check that out if you want to, if you want to see me predict this entire book. Uh, but I I've enjoyed this. I loved seeing Joe. Uh, I'll always be happy seeing Joe Mullane. But This book wasn't really what I expected it to be, and I think that a lot of people kind of feel that way, which is maybe why this is the last issue of the book, but uh, there's lots of stuff on the horizon. Jon Stewart is going to be part of the big Justice League 75, Death of Justice League, all that stuff, so we'll just have to see, and hopefully they stick the landing with this series. Next up, we have The Amazing Spider-Man number 92.bay. This is written by Saladin Ahmed and Cody Ziegler with art by Luigi Zagaria. And this is our last stop before the conclusion of Beyond. Beyond is next week. Amazing Spider-Man number 93. Um, Crazy. I've loved the Beyond era. I'm sad to see it go, but I'm excited to see where everybody goes from here. And we are finally getting some good old Monica Rambo goodness. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. As Beyond nears its end, all the chickens are coming home to roost. Wait, did someone just call Monica Rambo a chicken? 
Don't let her hear you say that. But do pick up this book to see why. Don't miss this essential chapter with Monica and so much more. Yeah, this is going to be very interesting to see how this all wraps up. We got a vampire lizard on the loose uh, with the Daughters of the Dragon and Morbius in hot pursuit. And it looks like Monica Rambeau is going to jump into the scene. So looking forward to that for sure. Next up, we have Detective Comics number 1057. Written, of course, by Mariko Tamaki and Matthew Rosenberg. With art by Amanke Nawalpan and Fernando Blanco. And this is... I guess the penultimate issue. This must be, right? It's it everything's coming to a head. This is part 11 of the uh Arkham Tower story and of House of Gotham. So, I'm very excited to see how this all turns out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Tower, part 11/House of Gotham, chapter 11. Batman is back, and just in time to save the life of Nightwing, who was given a fear toxin superdose and tossed out of a skyscraper, another tragedy surrounding Arkham Tower's hostile takeover. As Scarecrow readies his forces for the Big Bat, war erupts on every floor of the building between the Penguin's thugs, the Party Crashers, the murderous Arkham inmates, and an overwhelmed Bat family who's struggling to get everyone out alive. Will the return of the bat be enough to turn the tide to victory, or does another X-Factor lurk in the battle that could save the day? In the penultimate chapter of House of Gotham, a battle erupts between Batman, the Joker, and the boy in horrifying fashion. Bruce Wayne has felt responsibility for his situation for years now, but does he have what it takes to save the life of his sworn enemy? So, that's very interesting. I was... I gotta say, I was a little sad to see the Batman swoop in and be like, oh, now the Batman's gonna win the day with the overwhelmed Bat family. Not a huge fan of that. This really... What I loved about Arkham Tower is that this was a situation that the Bat family could handle. Yeah, it got out of hand, but they thrive under adversity. So I'm a little disappointed that Batman is like the avenging knight that's gonna swoop in and save the day. But... Uh, I trust in Mariko Tamaki's writing, um, so I'm hoping for another twist and turn. We'll see. Next up, we have Nightwing, number 90, written by Tom Taylor, art by uh, Geraldo Borges. And this is, um, I'm assuming, a new uh, new arc. It must be, because we just wrapped up the two-part uh, Superman team-up. So, oh, this cover makes me very happy. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Here. A Nightwing in Wally West's story, part one of two. When it's easier to go buy bagels as Nightwing than as Dick Grayson because everyone is either trying to get him for his money or kill him for the price on his head, Nightwing realizes he'll need to enlist the help of his teen Titan friends as his bodyguards. And the first volunteer is, of course, his best friend, Wally West, aka The Flash. I love Dick and Wally team ups. I love it so much. Cannot wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is of course, to no one's surprise, Batman Superman World's Finest. Written by Mark the Man Wade with art by Dan the Man Mora. I am so excited about this book. I've been waiting 
for this book to come up ever since it was announced. This is going to be an all-timer. I can just feel it. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The Dark Knight. The Man of Steel. They are the two finest superheroes that the world has ever known. And they're together again in an epic new series from the legendary talents of Mark Wade and Dan Mora. In the not-too-distant past, Superman's powers are supercharged from a devastating chemical attack by the villain Metallo. And the only ally that the ultra-powerful Man of Tomorrow can turn to in this turbulent hour is Gotham's own dark vengeance, the Batman. A nearly fatal burst of power drives Bruce Wayne to his own extreme measures to help his friends friend, enlisting none other than the Doom Patrol for aid. It's the world's greatest superheroes from the world's greatest comic book talent in an epic comic book experience that kicks off the next big events in the DCU. Get ready, it's time to soar! What? Doom Patrol? Oh man, this is, oh, I can already feel it. This, this book is gonna be, this, I'm just gonna call it now. I don't usually do this. I'm gonna call my shot. This is gonna be book of the week. I just, I'm, I'm feeling it. So, uh, that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. Like I said, a short list this week, but a very exciting list. To recap, we've got Green Lantern number 12, Amazing Spider-Man number 92.bey, Detective Comics number 1057, Nightwing number 90, and Batman Superman World's Finest number one. This is going to be a great week for comics. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and especially subscriptions really does help me out and it really helps the podcast out. kind of raises our stock in this weird podcasting algorithm space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review, on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it. I will read your review here on the podcast. You can write whatever you want. I will have to read it. But as long as you give me that five-star review, I will be happy to read your message. And you will be able to join the likes of our Dirty Dozen, including Seafire ND, Joshua Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A Lock and AZ, and Sass. I want to say a huge thank you to all these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. Also, if you want to be part of our Geek Explained mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to say something about the podcast if you just have a message uh you want to get a quick pitch or maybe you just want some recommendations that we haven't covered on the podcast yet feel free to send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com and put mailbag in the subject header and i will read them here as part of our mailbag segment and finally if you want to keep up to date with the podcast uh participate in polls that decide future episodes as well as maybe just shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news you can set you can follow us on social media Instagram and Twitter at Geeksplained Pod. That's at Geeksplained P O D. Um, lots of stuff to talk about this year. So that is going to be the place to keep up to date with us. And lastly, Every Friday, if you're not aware, if this is your first time joining us, we are doing the Geeksplained Book Club, where every single Friday, I, alongside my amazing friends, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Ultimate Spider-Man. We're going to be doing volume 11, entitled Carnage, this Friday. I'm very nervous about this, so tune in on Friday for that. Spidey Fridays are the place to 
be. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, we are closing in. The March to 200 is almost at an end. And next week for episode 199, we're going back into the world of animation as I count down the top 10 episodes of... The Batman. The Batman, the unsung hero of Batman cartoons. Tune in next week for that. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Welcome to the Geeksplain podcast. I'm Eric Azana. And I'm also Eric Azana. And we're and here to I'm talk Matt about Matt Draper. Why talk about Superman is, Returns. About <laughs> Noted Spawn tuber, Matt Draper. And I'm, I'm Tom me. McFarlane, creator of Spawn. <laughs> I'm Tom Holland, and I'm here to talk about my role as Kratos in the upcoming God of War <laughs> starring oh, Timothy Chalamet. Oh. Should we try this again? Because I've actually got an intro- I've got a good bit to introduce myself. Okay, I'm ready. Oh, I thought you had a bit, dude. Oh no, I thought you were gonna like. Intro oh, I'm gonna do podcast. my intro. Okay, all right. Okay, I'm ready. Let's do this. <clears throat>